As time goes on, as I learn how to walk and talk from scratch, which was brutal, the moment I'm asleep, which was a lot in the early days because I was virtually comatose, I was vibrant and very well aware and awake within the portal. My body, I was dead to the earth, dead to the world, didn't know anything about what was going on there. My conscience was dormant in the world, but it was completely active and awake within the portal. And yet when, I, well, when my body would wake up here in the world, then my conscience would be split between the two. I'd be 70% there and 30% here. Welcome back to the Awakening Her podcast. Today I'm sitting down with Christian Anand. He is a spiritual junkie, award-winning author, and documented medical miracle. So today we're talking about his near-death experience, his spiritual principles and truths, and we just have such an in-depth and beautiful, authentic conversation. He talks about how to surrender to divine will. We touch on manifestation, living the life your soul intended, and your soul journey. It's It's so fascinating, and I know you're going to get so much out of this. So without further ado, let's welcome Krishnanand onto the show. Hey, Seeker, welcome to the Awakening Her podcast. I am so grateful that you've been led here, and I'm excited for you that you're answering the call to manifest more magic in your life by mastering the law of attraction. So cool. My name is Talia, and I'm committed to cutting the fluff and showing you exactly how to manifest more excitement, ease, success, abundance, confidence, love, and anything else you've been craving. So if you're ready to crack the code on manifestation, amplify your intuition and play in the quantum. We are now besties. Let's do this. Hello, Krishnanand. Welcome to the show. I am so excited you're here. How are you? I'm very well and thank you for inviting me. Awesome. Cool. I am so excited what we're going to get into today. I'm so grateful that our paths have crossed. I have been studying near-death experiences since it was basically creepy. I was so young reading about people dying and coming back and my mom's like, what are you doing? But I have been so fascinated with NDEs since I was young and it's just drawn me in. I've read hundreds of stories and I think it's so interesting how they're all unique, including yours. I cannot wait to talk about this. And, you know, what people, how it changed their life, what they experienced. I'm just the person I want to go knee deep and hear about it all and everything that's happened since. So welcome to the show. Um, Can you just introduce yourself? Let us know a little bit about you and yeah, let's just start there. My name is Krishnanand. That's a name that my Jagad Guru Kripalu gave me in 2010, long before my NDE. And I go by that full time now since the NDE. And um, I'm a lifelong mystic and spiritualist, been involved with these things since I was a child, literally three, four years old, fascinated by all the spiritual and mystical things, and took it very seriously. So by the time I was a Preteen, I was already studying and scholarly and practicing things and really deep into it. I mean, it was more than more than just a hobby. I was very fascinated. So I really was very much into it and always have been all my whole life. Mm, that's really cool. How were your parents spiritual at all? Like, how did you find it from that young age? Good question. Yeah, my dad is kind of an average kind of working class kind of guy, really great guy. My mom was the neighborhood witch. She was definitely kind of into all these things, and she was very psychic. I used to thought, I used to think, 
I used to think she was just like a smart mom because moms just know your stuff. No, mm -hmm. she was very psychic, very psychic. And so she had me around those things early on. And so I'm just doing what I saw. So like she had people coming over, she was reading tarot and doing scrying sessions with them. And I was just, I was just a little kid. And so I walked by the crystal ball and saw what I say, what I saw. And mm -hmm. soon there people coming to see me reading for them. And I was mm -hmm. a little boy. So yeah, I was kind of brought up in it somewhat, but um, early on, honestly, between me and the lamppost, um, I felt that I needed to go further and farther and deeper than my mom ever could even begin to scratch the surface of. She was very deep and mystical and psychic, but I needed the true eternal truths of mysteries. Mm. And I delved deep and deep and went down the rabbit holes. Mm. Wow. So in your 20s, when a lot of people were partying, you were you were with gurus or were you partying and then also oh no i was definitely <laughs> dropping my lsd and getting loaded oh no i was partying for sure but, but you were seeing spirit while you were doing that oh yeah the were. difference is that all of the partying i wasn't just having a good time for me it was all a mystical journey i was on exploration psychedelics etc for me were an exploration of consciousness and other layers of reality and so i was known in my peer group as the spiritual one, the philosophical one, the guy to talk to when you're like really tripping balls, really want something fun to talk to, you know? So again, I wasn't the guy just having a good time. It was always deep for me. And so I was still partying doing all that stuff too. I was a very notorious drug addict and criminal. And yet I was also had very deep layers because again, I was always attracted to it and drawn to it and studying it and practicing it. And I took it very seriously. While many friends that I met were kind of casually interested and thought it was more like a trend or a fad, a fascination they had temporarily, for me, it was very serious along all the all the time. Mm -hmm. I really, f I can resonate so deeply with that. When people, when it became a little bit more common knowledge after the secret, like in recent times, when more people are talking about law of attraction, all that, I started to feel like, well, yeah, like I've always seen energy like that in the way of like what, you know, we retract, we attract who we are being and how malleable reality is. And sometimes when you see these trends and these fads, it's almost like, well, yeah, <laughs> we're dipping into some of the truth here, but it's not sure. a passing thing. It's like how I see life. And I have since I was, since I can remember. Yeah, sure. You know, I'm sure you have a similar experience where you see people waking up and cluing into these things. Again, so part of my frustration with my NDE, which you'll hear about, is that I was already very spiritual and very deep in practicing. I wasn't just reading about it all my life. I was practicing it. I was a third-degree ceremony magician. I was a master alchemist through Phenomenal College. And so I was taking it very seriously, practicing and doing these things. And so... Part of the frustration for me is my NDE, which you'll hear about, was very challenging, and it wasn't over in an instant. It was something that went on and on and on for a long time and still does in many ways, some of the hard parts and the fun parts. And so in a similar way, yes, it can sometimes be a little lonely, you could say, a little isolating to see that people are kind of cluing into these things where I'm like, that's been before my whole life. Like, I'm not new to that. I'm not a stranger to that. Mm -hmm. And so... I'm grateful and glad when I see people kind of waking up, but at the same time, it's, yeah, it can be a little bit like it's not new to me. You know, mm -hmm. you feel like you're remembering it. and everybody that starts to spiritually awaken, they feel like they're remembering something, not learning something new. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I hear you for sure. That's really neat that you've been in this your whole life and it, I'm sure 
it just set the stage. You know, I sometimes think of my mom being a Reiki master and, you know, being around ceremony and stuff when I was young. And I thought it's the perfect plan for this stuff to be familiar to me from the beginning. Doesn't mean I didn't struggle. Doesn't mean I didn't lose my way at some times, but it's almost like it was so familiar. I didn't have to find it for the first time, even mm-hmm. in this lifetime. It's like, yeah. I, I got to pick up, like it was normal to buy sage when I had my first apartment. I know it's such a trivial example, but I just mean that way of looking at life as energy, it was already familiar. So anyway, enough about me. I want to hear about your NDE. So do you mind sharing a little bit like leading up to that point, of course, what happened and just everything you want to share? I want to tell you about the event itself. Mm -hmm. At that time, I'm a private practice counselor and I still am somewhat, I'm mostly retired from that now. And I'm working in my office and I am back to back with clients all day. And I'm involved with crisis, very deep, intense stuff and spiritual journeys for other people as well. And I'm loving my work. And occasionally someone would reschedule one or two people, maybe three in a row, back to back, suddenly rescheduled. And I'm like, I got like four hours to kill. What am I going to do? I didn't bring any backup work to my office because I thought I had back to back clients all day. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking, what am I going to do? Now, I was already working on my, one of my other books, and there was some very kind of risky research there because it was about drugs and all kinds of psychotropics and things. And I agreed with my publisher that I'd go to get a physical, and I was overdue. So I decided to go up the street to the clinic and get a physical. If two clients had rescheduled that day, I would stay in my office because it was three. If there would have been one more, anything beyond that made me suddenly say, what am I going to do? So I decided to go with this, to, this, to the clinic, I go downstairs, and that particular day I rode my motorbike to work. It's a very unusual Italian motor scooter, very unusual, 500cc. And seven years in that office, Talia, right? Talia. Mm-hmm. Seven, seven years in that office, Talia, and not once in those seven years had I ever left that office and turned right out of the garage. Because to the right was intersections and traffic lights, and to the left in the town was side streets and quiet, quiet travel. To this day, I will never know why. That particular day, I turned right instead of left, but I did. It's going to get a little intense. I'm going to get a little emotional. Less than half a mile away, about three blocks from my office, there's a traffic signal, and I got into the left turn lane. I'm the only person in the left turn lane, and I get a green arrow just for me. I ease out to make a left turn. And a full-size SUV went through the light, hit me in the face, killing me instantly dead on the street, mangled, bloody, and dead. Now understand something, Talia, that I didn't have the OBE out-of-body experience looking down and seeing over the scene of the accident. I literally was like, I catapulted. My consciousness said, I don't need to fucking be here anymore, and I left. I was like, I do not need to be here for this whatsoever. I'm gone. I get to go somewhere else. So this is my opportunity. So I immediately bolted from the scene. Meanwhile, back on earth, on one corner is a tire shop. And in front of the tire shop is a pastor on the phone. And I didn't find this out till years later. And he and I, he and I spoke years, just a few years ago. He and I spoke. He said, the only reason I was there that day is because my daughter begged and pleaded with me to go with her, get her tires on her car. And I was like resisting. I didn't want to go. I was too busy. Last minute, I gave in. He was outside on the phone while she was in there getting her tires on. He was the first on the scene pulling me from the wreck. I was bleeding from my nose, my eyes, 
my mouth and my ears, and I was dead. And he figured God put him there for a reason as a pastor, and he began reading my last rites to send me to heaven. Meanwhile, on the other corner is a jack-in-the-box restaurant. The front of the drive through line are two paramedics getting lunch. Had they been in the back of the line, I would not be here. Had they wanted tacos instead of burgers that day, I wouldn't be here. Because they saw the scene, they saw the accident occur while it happened right in front of them. They're like less than 50 yards away. They're on the scene in moments, bring my body back to life. Now I'm choosing my words carefully. I see my body back to life. My consciousness was gone. I don't know what's happening. I wasn't watching, I wasn't seeing anything. I found all this after the fact. Behind the jack in the box is a DMV. There's a man, a young man in the parking lot of the DMV, and he's calling my son. He's my son's best friend. Okay. And he says, Brandon, your dad's been in an accident. And he says, how do you know it's my dad? He goes, his bike. Nobody has a bike like that. I'm telling you it's your dad. He's going to an ambulance right now. They're taking him to the hospital. This kid has nowhere, doesn't live anywhere in the area. He was only there for one reason for that DMV, for one appointment. Otherwise, he would never, my family would never know that I was in the hospital because my, all, my, all my shit went flying from the bike. The emotions come to live because I don't like to be a source of pain. And I know that that moment when my son gets this call, I'm a source of pain. The paramedics, I'm in a stage three Glasgow coma. Let me tell you what that is. That's synonymous with death. Literally, you can Google the hell out of this. When you're in stage three Glasgow, paramedics and EMTs shrug their shoulders and say it's up to God now. There's nothing they can do. It's synonymous with death. I remain in a coma for nine days. The entire nine days that I'm in a coma, I'm totally conscious on the other side. Don't know what's going on on earth and don't care. I'm peaceful. I'm content. I'm not blissful. I'm not, I'm really in a neutral state within the portal, what I call the portal now. And I am bodiless. I'm just consciousness, just raw, pure consciousness without ego or identity. And it's, and it's content. So the nine days that I'm in a coma, my consciousness is there. And I wake up from my coma on my birthday. So it becomes a little bit hard to deny. I mean, I've even literally had atheists that I've told this story to, and they're like, okay, paramedic on one corner, pastor on the other, wake up on your birthday. This is, you got to be making this up. And it's all documented. And it just keeps happening one after the other. Now, even after I woke, when I woke up from the coma, I did not know my name, did not know what a hospital was, didn't know who my son was. They put these two people in front of me in the hospital and said, do you know who these are, who, they, who these people are? And I said, no. And actually, I didn't say no because I couldn't speak yet. I could not articulate language. It was my partner of 10 years and my son, who was 20 at the time. I didn't know anything because basically my identity was deleted. When I said I didn't know how to walk, I would say literally like I never learned, like I did not know how. I had to learn from scratch how to talk and walk. Even as I was released from the hospital about 30 days later and went home, the first thing that happened when I got home, for example, is I'm sitting on a, a couch and I'm looking at a room and my son says, how's it feel to be home, dad? And I said, I know intellectually that this is my fish tank and this is my wall and that's my front door but none of it feels familiar to me because it's like I've never been there before. Now, we're not talking about amnesia. Amnesia is a different quality from feature altogether. 
What I'm saying to you is it wasn't like I forgot it. It was like I never, ever knew. My identity was deleted. Now, let me back up for a moment. The actual first words I articulated in the hospital was when I looked at this son and partner person, which I didn't know what a wife or a girlfriend was. My first words were, how'd you guys get to London so fast? Now, that makes me seem like I'm brain injured and delusional. And that makes sense. However, that's not what was happening. My last lifetime, I was in London. And so because of being within the portal and the accident, all the things that was happening, my identities were confused. I could not do, I could not differentiate. And everybody that I saw from the nurses to my son, my son says my name is his name is Brandon. And I'm like, why are you calling yourself Brandon? You are Brandon, but you're all these other identities from multiple lifetimes. Mm. So I'm seeing people with a string of identities from multiple lifetimes, seeing their soul. I'm not seeing them as people. So when I said, what are you doing? How'd you guys get to London so fast? It's because I thought I was in London. I'm not saying think like I was in London. Now, keep in mind that I'm in a hospital. All I was four walls and a window somewhere over there. So there's no way, any way to differentiate, but I didn't know anything about anywhere that I was. I didn't have any logistics. Now, as time goes on, as I learned how to walk and talk from scratch, which was brutal, the moment I'm asleep, which was a lot in the early days because I was virtually comatose, I was vibrant and very well aware and awake within the portal. My body, I was dead to the earth, dead to the world, didn't know anything that was going on there. My conscience was dormant in the world, but it was completely active and awake within the portal. And yet when, I, well, when my body would wake up here in the world, then my conscience would be split between the two. Mm -hmm. I'd be 70% there and 30% here. So it was very hard to you could say, have equilibrium. I am hovering between two dimensions at one time, and I can't relate to anybody. Nobody can relate to me. I don't even know what I don't even know what's, hap that what's happening to me is unusual. I don't even know that. I can't. I I can't perceive that. For me, what I'm experiencing is totally normal. And I'm wondering why aren't other people seeing these spiritual dimensions like I am? Like, like literally, like, what's wrong with you? Like, you can try. Like, I don't know what the, what they're experiencing. This persisted to this magnitude of 70, 30% of my consciousness within both realms for four years. Now, for many people, initially they might think, well, that sounds wonderful to be in a spiritual state of consciousness most of the time. Sure, except when you're trying to live in a physical world. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. Talk about a fish out of water. Mm -hmm. Now, keep in mind that even though I had already told you that I spent my whole life already studying and being a spiritualist, I didn't remember any of this. My identity, my memory was deleted. I didn't know how to walk or talk. So anything that I knew of these things was more intuitive. I had no practical sense of it. I was learning how to read as a, as, a, as a grade schooler. Now keep in mind that Scott Spackey, who died in that accident, he was an advanced student since second grade. So I was already, was, I was well-educated and well-read quite well. And I did, couldn't do any of these things. So again, the phenomena that seems to set my ND apart when I finally started to learn about it, which by the way, at that time, is in spite of all my mystical training, I didn't know what ND, I know, if I'd heard of it, it never, never stayed. I didn't know much about it. And I didn't learn about it until the year four of my NDE, which was ongoing in a very intense way. 
And this is when the one of the directors from the IANS, International Association of Near-Death Studies in, at the Seattle Convention, suggested to me, he said, have you ever considered that why your, your NDE was so phenomenal and so unique and different than most other people's because you already had all this practical spiritual work in your past? He said, I didn't know anything. So that sounds like a good theory. So we kind of surmised, now I can see that's probably the case. The events and features of my NDE completely set me apart from so many of the, so I was already set apart as a spiritualist before, and now I'm set apart from many years too. So I'm having this phenomenal experience that many of them don't even have. Now, you may be familiar with the term past life review, I mean, um, with, with life review of the NDE phenomena. Mm-hmm. Where your past, where your life passes before your eyes. Mm-hmm. While I wasn't having a life review, I was having multiple life reviews. While I was over there for nine Earth days in in the within the portal, I was having like a cinema portraying before me hundreds of lifetimes of my past. And as I communicated with these what I call Akashic agents, it was explained to me that because of my spiritual work. I was kind of qualified, you could say, to have access to these prior lifetimes. And my request was, I don't want to see lifetimes that were just ordinary. I want to see lifetimes only that had to do with my spiritual growth and journey, my soul's journey, so they can see where I went wrong in lifetimes, where I went right, so I can continue to make progress. And that's what I was given. I saw lifetimes over thousands of years portrayed, displayed before me. So that's the... uh, Short version. So many things. Um, first of all, thank you for sharing. And um, I definitely, that makes so much sense because of where you already were. You didn't really need to like in the pearly gates and the guess what? You've had multiple lives. Like, oh, what? You know, like you were, your soul was already there. And um, that makes so much sense that you would almost be like ready, just like when you end this life and you go on to the next life, you'll be at a certain place compared to a hundred lifetimes ago, a thousand, whatever. Yeah. Um, Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And I also really deeply resonate when you're talking about having yourself 30, 70% in consciousness out there or in the portal. And here I have not had the experience you have, you, none of us are the same. I don't claim to know the same as you do. However, I feel it's so hard to be human sometimes. And when you said that there was just something that lit up every cell you in my body. It very well. Yes, it is. Yes. It's like being in two different worlds. It's like, what do you mean you're here? It's like, but I'm not here. It, no. There's a, and so like the limits of the world get really frustrating and it's like I can sometimes have, yeah, you probably understand, but it's just, it's But difficult. it's so nice. I mean, it's so rare to hear that. So thank you, sister, because it's so rare to hear that somebody truly gets it. Yeah. I You're really feel like correct. I do. Yeah. I have always felt, listen, my first cognizant thoughts when I was an infant, and I mean infant, I mean barely able to crawl or walk, okay, infant. My first cognizant thoughts were, why do they keep calling me Scott? And why do they say this, my mom and dad? You're not my mom and dad. I don't know who my mom and, mom and dad are, but you're not them. Because again, as I entered in this life in 1966, my lines between my last incarnation, this were so blurred that I did not understand it. I don't, so I was confused as to which dimension, which time I was in. It's been going on all my life. So yes, I totally identify and sympathize with this feeling of 
this awareness of multiple dimensions at once. And so you're trying to act normal and be like everybody else, but at the same time, you're perceiving things that are way beyond them. And you're trying to contain that and keep it normal so it doesn't, because otherwise it makes people uncomfortable. They can't, they can't deal with that. It's not a party trick that's very fun. <laughs> no, and, and, you know, I mean, it's kind of like being like on a really kind of non-drug effect, really cool wild acid trip that just has a lot of beauty and meaning to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. It's, like I'm tripping balls all the time. <laughs> yeah, but it's like then again, you open your eyes and you realize like you're in a fucking grocery store and everyone yes. else is like, you know, in this physical reality and it almost kind of is a split. Like you say, people like, it. oh, it must be so fascinating to understand or to see life like that. But it's in some ways it's the best and in some ways it's um. It's That's a little right. bit torturous. <laughs> Challenging to say the least. Challenging is just, a good word. What you just said reminds me when I left LA around my second and a half year of the accident, and I was going to Washington, I lived by the ended up in the Puget Sound. Basically, I was going there but to die, because that's what they all told me I was gonna do is that I was never gonna make it. And I'd be in the car, and I live way out in the country, right? And I'd be in the car, and then my mind would be within the portal the, for most of the time. And then suddenly I'd be like, I'd come back into my body and be like, why am I in my car? Where am I going? Like, I don't even know. I don't even know why I'm in the car. And suddenly, as you said, like in the grocery store, I'd be, I'd be like, oh my God, I'm in a grocery store. How did I get here? Mm-hmm. One time I'm in the car and I'm driving and I'm like, I don't know where I'm going or why I'm in the car, but it must have been a reason for it. My phone rings. It's my son. He goes, dad, I'm landing at 1245. He's, and I go, oh, that's right. I'm going to the airport to pick up my son. Yeah. Good thing he called. Good thing he called. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. Thank you for sharing. That must be really difficult, especially those first bunches of years where you were literally not only learning who you are or what how to walk and all this, but how to cope with that. Like, but you know, how- you try to have fun with it, right? You try to laugh at it. I mean, and not even try, like, instead of being like all terrified, like, why am I in a car? Like, how do you even get here? I mean, it literally would just be like, I don't remember even getting in the, I don't remember being here at all. Like mm-hmm. it would, I like teleport, and so but but I would just laugh. I'd be like, "This is wild!" Like everyone else is just like walking through the grocery store, buying their buying their food, getting their groceries. Me, I'm having this like really wild experience that I can't even mention to them. You know? Yeah, everyone's like, like oh, "What you're doing is boring." Yeah, totally. So yeah, you're all... like, it never scared me or got me down. I was like, "This is a trip. This is really bizarre." You know? Wow. Yeah. Crazy. So when you were in this portal and the parts that have come back with you that have validated, you know, what you were already studying or anything new that you learned there, what do you feel sort of coming back that it's, I like to, I like to ask healers and light workers almost like, what do you want to scream from the rooftops that people either aren't seeing or that they need to recognize, especially those people that are starting to awaken that are really open to this type of message? Like, what is it that we're missing or that we need to know you know, yeah, I'd love to hear. <laughs> Again, the irony is that it's the same message from the rooftop that I was giving since before this ever happened, since for my whole life, which was stop pursuing happiness within the world because you can't get it from that. The only way, and they don't even go within, go beyond without. The only happiness, joy, anand, bliss, is within the spiritual dimension of pure divinity. And so there's only two phenomena, the material, worldly, and the spiritual, the divine. Two phenomena, that's it. If it ain't God herself, then it's the world. Mm-hmm. Take your pick. You're either doing one or the other. Now, we have to live within the world. I get that. I do too. 
I got to eat. I got to exercise. I got to, I got to sleep. All these kind of things. Got to pay taxes. Blech. Got to pay tax. Got to do, got to, got to live with, I, I'm trapped within the world. I'm trapped within this incarnation. So, Wait, I live so can world. we transcend taxes? Is that what so, you're saying? <laughs> no, I'm definitely not saying that. I, I, trust me, if we could, I, do you think I'd be sitting here talking to anybody? No, I wouldn't know. <laughs> okay. I'd, I'd be living on a beach somewhere. Well, I was, I was living on a beach just a little while ago. So and actually I am right now, pretty much, pretty close. Anyway, <laughs> no, it's about to learn how and be willing to surrender your will, your consciousness, your heart to a divine will, to a divine will. Mm. Because when you surrender your will to a divine will, the divine will takes over, takes, takes care of things. And so even if it's hard or easy, whatever it is, it has meaning and it has beauty, and that's all that matters. And so I tried to just align my will with the divine will. And so mm. instead of wasting time, so the message really is about the two different phenomena. There's just two. And if it isn't the God power itself, then it's part of the world. And then that's just there to pass the time. Don't bother with it. You do have to live within it, but again, spend your time pursuing and developing your spiritual consciousness, not your material consciousness. That stuff is just filler stuff. Everything else, what you work for, what you work towards is that. Mm-hmm. And what I teach my students and clients, as a, I like to refer to myself as a spiritual fitness trainer. I'm not a guru, I'm not a god, but I'm a fitness trainer. I'm, I'm teaching how to people to, how to develop and become spiritually fit. And this is about knowledge and practice. What I'm always encouraging my students with is it's not just about knowing these things. You've got to put it to work and practice it. And so I'm sure, I don't know what, I don't want you to speak out loud about it, but part of my frustration, if I may, with some of the NDE community is that we have people, whether it's NDE or some type of psychedelic experience or whatever, some kind of phenomenal event in their life that woke them up spiritually, and then they start prognosticating, and I'm thinking, but... You didn't study, learn, or practice. Like suddenly you had this, and now you think you're like you're the genius of it. Mm-hmm. And I've been studying it my whole life. And it takes more to lead people and guide people with these very sensitive areas than just having an event that that makes you have have a keen perception that you didn't have before. Mm-hmm. And so we've got to be careful. Be careful who you seek. Be careful who you follow. Be careful who you listen to. Go for the eternal truths, mm-hmm. and that's the, the real message right there. Is go for the eternal truths. What I teach. And my, as, as a spiritualist, it's not my truths. I teach the eternal truths that the Buddha taught, the Shankaracharyas have taught, that the, that the, the, the master gurus taught, that the Christ taught. I don't teach my stuff at all. I teach their stuff, the authentic mm-hmm. stuff. Then when we go down the underground stream, down, down the rabbit hole, we find the authentic ones. Mm, I hear you. Yes, I hear you. I, I always use metaphors because that's just the way spirit delivers things through me. And sure. people say like, oh my goodness, when you say that, it makes sense. I'm like, well, because truth is truth is truth. Like it's right. macro, it's micro, it's there. Like look around. It's I'm not making it up. I'm not inventing the formula. It's like, you'll see it in the trees. You'll see it in the cycles. You'll see the truth in life. You don't have to look that hard. It's not even that the big. Micro and the macro. Everywhere. Yeah, it's, it's everywhere. Yeah, I love the. Oh, go ahead. And if I may, what you had another good point there is that the reason the spirit realm or dimensions speak to us in primordial figures and symbols and archetypes is because our language is human language. An eternal language is archetypes and images and symbols that can speak a lot. Mm. If you go to China and don't know, and don't know how to speak Chinese, and you say I want an apple in English, they're going to get confused. But you show them a picture. 
going to get one right away, right? Mm -hmm. And so the eternal truths are, just, are, are, are given to us in symbols and, 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 and analogies that can be hard to interpret at first, but once we stay with it, we should just speak that language. And I also look at myself as a fitness trainer and an interpreter. I'm an interpreter. Tarot cards and the things that I work with, these are my tools. I'm there to interpret what these are saying to you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I look at that like my channel and like sometimes I just, I'm always interpreting um, what people's, you know, spirit team, my spirit, whatever spirit in general is sharing. And it's like, sometimes it's almost hard to be like, okay, they're showing me this. So it, it's this energy of, it's, it's interpreting energy exactly like you say. And I love that you're saying like, it's in everything, the symbols. Um, one avenue of spirituality that really caught me early on is the Tao. And it really resonates with me because Lao Tzu wrote it using nature as the sort of metaphor yeah. of these spiritual truths. And when you're it's talking about way. Yeah, exactly. The way, right? The waterway. And so when you're talking about these earthly things and not to bother too much with the physical, he calls that the world of the 10,000 things. And I think of that mm -hmm. all the time. It's the world of the 10,000 things, all the shiny distractions, all the right. ego projections, all the really real stuff, you know, and it's, it, and it, it can hook you, but it's just the world of the 10,000 things. It's not the eternal Tao. It's not the eternal spirit. It's, it's the physical, it's the opposite. It's like you say, it's the ego or it's the divine it's the physical 3d world or it's the divine and if it's physical it's not i mean divine created it but you know what i mean it's that world of the ten thousand distractions really it's not real that, that, that that's the label for it. yeah the ten thousand things is that's the material phenomena and if it ain't if it ain't the divine phenomena then it's the material phenomena and that's all the ten thousand things mm -hmm. and so of course lao tzu is brilliant and so i'm Definitely an Oriental mystic. I mean, I I use I Ching daily. I mean, all the time. It's perfect. It's a perfect system. Mm -hmm. And again, we can find these all synthesized together. The tarot, the I Ching, numerology, astrology. These are not separate systems. These are all one system that's speaking different dialects of the exact same truths. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's why human design is pretty interesting because it combines a bunch of different um, like modalities like that, astrology, the chakra system, all that. And it's neat because it is, it's a combination because the truth is the truth. It's, it's not just, right. it's, it's everywhere, you know, and when we combine these, we get that really incredible fuller, you know, perspective. Um, oh, this has all been so cool. There's a few things that I wanted to point to. Um, you said something so powerful when you said, aligning my will with divine will. And this is so good. You know, everybody that listens to the show, you know how much lately I've been talking about how this isn't a vending machine experience. The universe isn't just our sugar daddy to come along and give us what we want. We are here no. to grow. We are here to work on behalf of the divine. You are spirit embodied experiencing itself. And when you said that, it just was like, oh yes, when we can align our will with spirit's will, with the divine will, also understanding that spirit wants good for us. Spirit wants healing. Spirit wants what we would call abundance or to have community, to have connection. That is divine will as well when it's, especially when we align in that in that way. So I'd love to talk, um, I'd love to hear your perspective on sort of manifestation versus or coming together with your will being in line with spirit's will and how we can kind of create that full experience with that perspective rather than gimme, gimme vending machine, you know, mentality. For sure. The, again, the mystical modalities that I've been studying and practicing my whole life. Let me give you an example. In the 1300s, a group of mystics created a system. Now, the tarot was technically designed in 
1300s, but it's been around a, long, a lot longer than that. Around the 1300s and 1400s, a group of mystics got together and they revealed, they didn't create, they revealed the synthesis of tarot, astrology, numerology together in one system. Mm. And they fit like lost puzzle pieces. And I started using the system in my 20s. And then I saw as a Kabbalist into Judaic mysticism and ceremonial magic and hermetic mysticism and Oriental, I saw that, well, if these three synthesize perfectly together, then why wouldn't I Ching also with 64 hexagrams and also why wouldn't Kabbalah's Tree of Life with the 10 Sephiroth, which is the original version of the tarot deck, why, why, why aren't these brought back, to, brought back together? So I did, and it fit perfectly. Mm. So what I when we talk about manifest, that's what these things are about. The process of alchemy, the seven stages of alchemy, calcination, dissolution, all the way down to coagulate, all the way up to coagulation, is about taking an abstract concept like number values or celestial bodies of astrology, abstract concepts and distilling them to something potent and powerful to be able to teach and guide you, reveal to you what you need to know when you need to know it, but not as prognosticators of predictions, material things. There's only two phenomena, right? Material, the 10,000 things, and then all, and then the infinite and eternal. Mm-hmm. And these things reveal to us not what we need to find within the 10,000 things, but we need to find within the eternal and infinite things. Our, our path, our way, the way. There's only one way. The Tao is the way. Mm-hmm. And so we need a path to find our way. All these dialects of different systems teach this one thing, and they're revealing to us how we can manifest. What do we want to manifest? Do you want to manifest a business? Okay, go to a business coach. Do you want to manifest flowers and plants and vegetables in your garden? Then go to the gardening place. Manifest. Start with an abstract idea, this concept that I want to grow some vegetables. I want to have some salad. And then go and make it a physical thing. Turn that abstract concept into a physical thing by adding your will to it and aligning it with the divine will. So when I want physical things, then I go through the process of manifestation for all of them. Whether it's a car, a lunch, a TV show, whatever I'm doing, i got to go through the, the seven stages of manifestation. But I also, not also, above and beyond all of that, what I want to manifest is my spirit. Mm. I want to strip away all of the material, all of the matter, and just leave pure, raw consciousness and spirit, and that's it. Mm. And this is the same process, the same seven stages, the same what you teach about manifesting something into a physical phenomena mm-hmm. that begins as an abstract concept, goes to the same stages, now, cause that to be introverted instead of extroverted. Take it from the outside in, and then manifest the spirit within. Mm. Now, my book, it's my fifth. I was a four-time, six-time award-winning published writer before, my NDA. This new book is my memoir, and it's called A Guide to Spiritual Awakening. So it teaches what we're talking about today. 
I could not explain the NDE phenomena without explaining how it all works. And how it works ended up being a guide to spiritual awakening to teach you how the, what the mechanics are, how you can use it for yourself. And this started off as a death event where I catapulted it within the portal. And years later, it's not a physical, I don't have one in front of me, I should have brought it in here, a physical book you can hold and open and read. Now, my version, you can also have it on ebook, you can also have an audiobook because I recorded it myself. Because some people don't like to read. The bottom line is this abstract concept, this ethereal supernatural phenomena has now been put into a manifested physical form so that you can have a relationship with it. So manifestation is about that, isn't it, Talia? It's about making something you can have a, a personal relationship with. Now, let's go one step further even. I'm getting chills. I know, me too. I don't even... Well, that's how you know when you're like channeling something that's not you. I'm, like, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not the one speaking anymore now. It's like something else that's like... And I'm like, just sitting here like... That's right. <laughs> I'm watching. <laughs> now, I've mentioned I don't like to gender... I don't know, label a gender onto the God power. Neither do I want to use the universe because the universe is a set of, metaf meta set of physics. And I'm a physicist. I'm definitely into physics. But I said earlier, I referred to the God power as a she. There's the chill. Because the loving aspect of the God power is female. And the powerful aspect, the knowledge aspect, and the power aspect is male. That's primordial. That's fine. And what we go back to that central message of what I hope people will start to understand is that but if we talk about manifesting something into the physical world so we can have a relationship with it in a real, tangible way, we do the same thing with the God power. She is personified. He is personified. They, are, they have character and personality. And when you build a relationship with them, then you can and will see them and feel them, not in some abstract light. And I mean literally skin, nails, hair, face, eyes, the whole bit. Now, I'm not saying that I do. Not quite that high up yet. But there are saints and sages that did all the time, and they've explained it to us. Now, when I was having a dark night of the soul, which I've had several, one of my biggest ones, probably 2004, and I, as a trained mystic, searching and practicing all my life already, and I got so frustrated, I'm at a point where I'm like, you know what? I'm sick of this shit. I meditate my ass off. I do kundalini. I've had a full-blown kundalini event, a full-blown, like almost killed me. Full, a supernatural life, one after the other. And yet, I'm still seeking and searching perfect spiritual bliss. Fuck this. I quit. You, either, present yourself to me in person. No abstract, no cloud, no light, no fuzzy shit. No, I want to see you in person, and that's it. And I lay down the law. I wasn't asking, I wasn't begging, I was demanding. And thinking, well, I'm going to go to hell now. Short story shorter, let's just say that a very unusual day followed that led me to, and I got to again and give you this little anecdote. The next day I'm sharing this with my girlfriend, and I'm throwing a fit, I'm throwing a tantrum, I'm like, God damn it, I threw a magazine across the room, and I said, I'm sick of all this, I'm going to quit, I'm going to start a cult. 
I have all the spiritual. I'm going to start a cult. That's what I'm going to do. And I threw this magazine across the room. And she calmly and quietly gets some pictures with this magazine. He goes, here, go to that and shut up. Point to an ad that said, divine love consciousness. And there was a woman speaking on this topic in L.A. And I went and led me to my guru, a divine, realized, personified aspect of the God power. Mm. Gurus and masters are here all the time. Neem Karoli Baba, mm -hmm. of course, is a God-realized saint, mm -hmm. one with the God power. They're here all the time. My fit manifested. It went through the process of manifestation, and then I was, and I was saying, no more clouds, no more fuzzy light, no, no, no abstract experience, no, I don't want some psychic phenomenon, no. I want the real deal, I want you in front of me that I can touch and feel and smell and see you. And they're there, mm -hmm. and they are, and you can. Don't settle for the light. That's a good place to start, but why not have it manifest and personify in pure bliss? Mm -hmm. It is the power of your desire. What they say in Sanskrit, vira, V-I-R-A-H in, in English, vira. Vira means longing. This is the alignment. When you long for the God power in your heart where it's consuming, the dark night of the soul, where you can't and will not settle for anything less, that's what activates God's grace and has to come to you. They say there's nothing that God can't do. Oh, yes, there is. I can think of one thing that God cannot do. God cannot not love you. Can't. Cannot not love you. God is, doesn't love you. God is love. And so therefore, there's one thing that God cannot not do, and that's not love you. And the moment you cry out to God and the God power, then she has to come to you. She has no choice. Mm -hmm. That's her own rule. That's her own grace. That's, that she has no choice. Mm -hmm. So manifest in the physical realm what you want in the spirit. Mm. That is so powerful. I love how this message is so centralized around like it does not exist outside of you. And that takes like the I am so much deeper. I've had some experiences in the last couple of years where I'm like, holy shit, like I am it. And how much deeper that that can go and just, I don't know, it just comes up often with clients where they're looking for more meaning and spirit shows me like they're looking for that vitality. They're looking for someone to like turn the yes. vibrancy up in their life, to enjoy, to have pleasure. And it's like, yeah, you're seeking more divine. It's like, no, no, I just need to have more yeah. vacations. No, I just need to make, I'm like, no, 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 you're <laughs> seeking the divine. That's what is you're yearning seeking, inside right. of you. Right. You're seeking the divine. Yeah. A you sunny day is great. Status, but you're going to want more after that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's so, so powerful. Um, wow, this has just been so incredible. I appreciate this so much. I have a question that came up near the beginning of when you started talking about the NDE that I it was coming through me. So why in what you have learned, if there are if there is a why that has arrived into your consciousness, why did your identity need to be deleted? Why did you need to go on this path? what What was going on that you, yeah, why deleted? Why reboot? It's a little personal, okay? So, again, the beautiful thing about the relationship you have with God, 
Are you still there? Yeah, there we go. There was a little, little blur in there. The beautiful thing about the relationship is it's so intimate. You're not some abstract or unknown entity to God. God is as close to you as you are now. They say that, that that's, that's in being now. It says your guru is as close to you as you are now. Guru being more of a metaphor in this case, that, that is any divine, any divine personality, any divine aspect. And so I wanted the exact same thing. Why me? Why has this happened? What am I supposed to learn and take away from this? Is that kind of what the question is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm thinking I'm already spiritually awake and evolved and working my ass off to pursue God and God experience. I'm, I'm, so why me? And I'm sorry. I think I did lose my way a little bit. What, go say it question again. I'm sorry. Yeah, just why did your identity need to be deleted? Oh, why to- my identity? Yeah, that's because, yeah, why that particular aspect, that feature, which was really rough, by the way. Listen, I lost everything. I lost soulmate love. I lost tons of stuff that very few people ever encounter, let alone lose. It was rough. The book that tells my memoir and that tells the story and all the science that goes behind it is a dark and tragic and yet triumphant tale. And so the loss of my identity was because Scott was dead. Scott needed to die. Krishna needed to live without Scott. And so there was a separation of identity and ego. And here's the dark night of the soul that people don't want to know about. First of all, it ain't poetic. It ain't just ethereal and poetic and mystical. It's dark as fuck. And many people don't survive it. You can't put into words that describe how tragic and dark it can be, the true dark night of the soul. And there were things in my life that need to go. I wasn't doing anything wrong. I was living a good, fairly righteous life. I was giving a good spiritual life. I was in a career that was focused completely on helping other people evolve and change their behaviors in the world and in their spirit. And yet... What I wasn't doing was the work I'm doing now. Mm-hmm. And so Scott needed to die along with all the attachments so that Krishnan could live. And it wasn't about year four. I'm sitting there trying for four years to revive myself, to learn how to walk and talk and restructure my life and re- kind of get back where I was because I was this successful, respectable, fulfilled person with a soulmate love and good father and all these kind of things. And for four years, I'm trying to say nothing is working. Nothing. It's all just a tragedy after tragedy. And it was in year four that I had this vision. And it was, it's because you're trying to be Scott, stupid, and Scott died. When are you going to start living as Krishnan? Krishnan lived, Scott died. So I began to take my Krishnan name full time, which I'd had already for three years. And things changed. I began to heal, I began to move forward. Things started to completely change and shift. So it is said in the Vedas, in the Sanskrit scriptures, be careful what you wish for. Because when God starts to really interact with your life and gives you grace, 
It can be brutal. It will strip you of everything you know to make you raw and vulnerable. Suffer the little children unto me. For there's the kingdom of heaven. And it isn't until we are stripped of our ego is that we begin to be innocent like children. And that varies on your level and your magnitude. I was already pretty involved in my spiritual life. So that means the magnitude of my loss had to be equal to that. Mm -hmm. Well, my supernatural lifetime was already very phenomenal. So therefore, the magnitude of rearranging and stripping, my, stripping me from what I was was very brutal and it had to be. Now, in the current moment, I was grateful from the beginning. I knew that the God power, I knew that, I knew that it was for my own good. I never once had a crisis of faith. It wasn't that. But I was kind of like, hey, but, you know, ease up. I mean, I can't keep handling all this one after the other. Mm-hmm. So, be careful what we wish for, because the dark night of the soul that many people are seeking, as you say about seekers, in the beginning stages we're seeking, we're saying, I don't care what it is, bring it on, bring it to me, bring yourself to me face to face, I don't care what it takes, be careful what you say, because I said the same thing in another dark night of the soul episode, where I was saying, I don't care what it takes, I want to just be with you, burn me, scald me, destroy me, whatever it takes to take me to the next level. Be careful what you wish for, because once you do that, you can't whistle it back. Mm -hmm. I gave the God power, I gave divine love, the green light to destroy my life if that's what she felt she needed to do to bring me to my next levels. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've experienced that many different times, those desperation, I don't care what it takes. And in our mind, we think I'm just going to take a step up, a step up, and then I'm going to be there. That's what I mean, right? I'm ready for the money or whatever it is. Yeah. But after that deep, desperate prayer, um, always comes a massive reopening of a wound. For me, it's I haven't died in this lifetime yet, um, but it's a massive reopening of something very deep that I didn't feel ready to face. And it'll be like, well, there you go. You know, it's not just, I'm ready for my next level. Okay, here's the money. It, it involves a stripping away. It involves yes. a letting go of what you are not or forcefully unraveling what you are not to expose what you say you want or what you've always been that source inside of you and it isn't it isn't easy that's why people get into this work like glamorous i'm going to be woke and then they realize like it's fucking hard (laughs) and it's the sometimes the self-awareness is crippling or the experiences the the things that fall away it's hard um And yeah, I just, I really feel you in that. So what I would love to touch on before we wrap up, what has life been like since, and what are you up to now? And, you know, if there's any other, those words of wisdom of like, what did you learn, not just in the near death experience, but like you say, since then that people really, you know, the medicine people really need to know, I'd love to just hear what life has been like since then and what you know now. And as you mentioned, you know, when we say the stripping away, it ain't like Velcro. It's more like duct tape that's been sitting in the sun on your skin for a long time. So mm-hmm. when it gets stripped away, it pulls off some hair, pulls yeah. off some skin. Yeah, some layers. <laughs> and so the services that I offer are just that, as you mentioned, you interact with people and you start to cause awakenings for them. Mm-hmm. And initially, they come to you for that. But you, as a, as, a, as a person who knows what they feel like, you're like, okay, but don't 
And I, and I tell, my, tell my students and clients this all the time, I say, don't say I didn't warn you. I'm warning you now, be careful what you wish for, be careful what you ask for, because once we start to work together, it will start to happen. I can't stop it once it starts. Once you give me the green light, I'm a catalyst. It's gonna to start to happen. Mm -hmm. And so yes, the readings and insights that I give and, and provide as a service. Now, I should note that, for example, these are donations. They are fee-based in the sense that there is a set kind of a request for them. But I also, given the right person, I don't turn anybody away. So hopefully people don't exploit it. But again, those services, the readings and insights are there. The shift is to help people evolve in their soul's journey. Mm -hmm. And that's it. People have to apply for these readings because if they just want to know about a pass on loved one or what happened to their dog that ran away, then I'm not going to get involved. I'm not saying that's not worthy of getting some information on it, so that that's not my area. If you want to learn how to evolve your soul and spirit in your mind, your consciousness, then that's where I can come in. Mm -hmm. So that's, again, I think if you're asking, what is the catalyst? What is the shift in all those things? And I would say, I guess that, that the services, I was already a behavioral counselor, and I always knew that I would be eventually kind of evolving into sharing my spiritual knowledge and truths and eternal truths because I spent my whole life studying it. And the Akashic agents, as I refer to them, guardian angels, you could say, the Akashic agents said, well, we're tired of waiting. Mm -hmm. So you're going to die and come back, and you better get busy. And if you don't, well, nothing, nothing you do is going to work out. So I really wasn't left much of a choice. Again, I didn't write this book until I didn't start writing until year seven. Like I didn't want nothing to do with it. I was just trying to get it behind me. I was just trying to get, get through it. And again, a series of visions where basically Akasha Games were like, ah, you dumbass. We're not asking you. We're telling you. Stop writing that book and write this one. And I, once I know what the message is, I'm like, okay, like I'm not going to ask like why or anything else. Like, okay, and I did. It says in the beginning of the book that I don't say that I'm the actual author of this book. I'm the scribe, the author, true author and engineer of the events and phenomena that takes place is the spiritual realm, the God power herself, the Akashic agents. They're the ones that design orchestrated the entire I couldn't put a pastor on one corner, a paramedic on the other. I couldn't do that. Wake up on my birthday. Come on. I, I couldn't do that. You know, I was a great fiction writer, which I'm not. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a narrative. And so it's those missions how it changes you and what direction you go to that's different is I was leading up to being the spiritual teacher and mentor eventually. Mm -hmm. And the Akashic agents and the God power was like, not, you're not leading up to it. It's going to happen now. Mm -hmm. And, and again, even though I didn't, I was ignoring, I wasn't listening until they left me no choice. I mean, they can really wreck your life if they want to, if you give them permission. So, you know, I was like, I better do what they say. And yeah. I, mean, I don't mean that in a bad way. The tragedies were always beautiful. They were always, I mean, they were so surreal. It was hard not to marvel at the creativity that God would put into it. If nothing else, it was like, well, that's creative. I mean, again, the paramedic, them, that's not sure creative. That doesn't say nothing else. That's very creative. Mm -hmm. Makes you very special. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the 
creativity becomes evidence. And again, those three things that I mentioned, paramedic and, and these kind of those circumstances, it seems evident. Again, they were like saying to me, why do you think we had it happen this way? Because you can't come up with this and nobody could. We're giving you undeniable evidence. Do not wonder. Tell the story as it happened. That's it. It doesn't belong to you. It's not your story. Just tell it. And so that's where the shift is. That's where the shift in work and effort is that I was going to eventually get to these kind of things in my life. But who knows? Maybe I wouldn't have. Maybe I would have kept postponing. I was very successful at counseling, and it was very fulfilling, and I may stay with it all my life. Who knows? Mm-hmm. When you were saying that, that's exactly what I heard. Is like you were, you were making your way to this point at some point anyway, and you had a choice that day when you came out of your office building and you could choose to go the way you always go and kind of bypass this detour or turn the way you did. And it was kind of, I mean, your soul orchestrated it. You knew, but you didn't know on a conscious level that it was happening. Um, But yeah, it's like you could have waited a bunch of more lifetimes to get here, or you could have ripped the Band-Aid off in the most brutal of ways, as you say, and get to this place sooner. Um, And it feels like that's that's the one you chose. Yeah. (laughs) Whatever it takes, right? Yeah. And if I hadn't been killed and so brutally in all these... Now, keep in mind that it took seven years to even work through this stuff to even start to stabilize. I mean, I mean, again, when when I came, when I was in the coma, the the doctors. Okay, when my son and girlfriend showed up at the hospital, they were by two doctors and a priest. Okay, when you're met in the hospital by a priest, when they when they when the doctors bring in a priest, that's bad news. Mm-hmm. And they said, if he ever wakes up, which he won't, by the way, no one ever has. No one has ever woke up from what he's got. No one ever has. But if he does, he will be brain damaged. Will never be able to take care of himself. Will never not know how to walk or talk. He's going to be basically a vegetable. And so, you know, again, there's that inspiration where these events take place and they're not about you at all. Mm-hmm. And it takes a while to sort of figure out, like, why is this happening? But again, trying to recover from it and bounce back and learn what to do. So would I have ever eventually, I was already kind of teaching and, and, and writing and writing on spiritual subjects. I was already kind of lecturing and teaching on all those things in my spare time, you could say. But my private practice was very dominating for sure. I had a lot of people reaching out to me to save their lives for God's sake. What am I going to do? Say, no, I'm busy. I got to go, I got to lecture in Kabbalah, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. mean, I wanted to, trust me, many times I wanted to, like, oh, addiction again. Oh, come on, I'm busy. I got some Kabbalah to do. But, mm-hmm. you know, what can you do? I can't turn people away. So, yeah. I do feel that the celestial forces were sick of my shit and said, you know what? We're not waiting anymore. You're going to do this and we're going to kill you to do it. Mm. Do it or you're, do it or you're going to die again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so again, the, the brutality of the events of the dark night of the soul, as dark and heavy as that can be, even while it's happening in its darkest moments, there's a part of you, not a part of you. I know while it's happening, I mean, I am in complete despair. And simultaneously, simultaneously acknowledging I wouldn't have it any other way. Mm. Whatever she wants to do to me, kill, suffer, beaten, bludgeon, exalt, whatever she wants, I belong to her. Whatever she wants is up to her. I, I don't care. That's all I want. Mm. That's powerful. That's really powerful. 
Thank you so much for sharing your story, for just being that, for, you know, taking everything that you've experienced and everything in those first seven years that even got you to the place to start to process it more. And, you know, just move through relearning how to be human, creating that new identity and just everything you had to do. But thank you for sharing this message because I really do know that we are in an interesting time in this earth and the humans on it. And we need Aren't the light. You cute, interesting time. You know what it is. You know, it's Kali Yu. You know, you know, it's pretty dark and shitty. It's an interesting time. It's, it's, it's collectively. It, it, when, when you recommend a movie to somebody and they say, so what'd you think of the movie? You say, well, it's interesting. Yeah. yeah. That, that's code for like, yeah, I, I'm not going to dish, dish, dish dirt on it, but I wouldn't go see it about you. Yeah, but pretty much. Um, it is, but it, it is, is a yin-yang. You know, it's look, a yin-yang. It's an interesting time. It's surreal. What's happening right now in the world is surreal. It isn't just, it isn't, it's always been kind of dark and, and can, can be pretty shaky and scary. But what's happening now is like surreal. You're watching news like, what the fuck? Every day is yeah. like a, just a what the fuck moment. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Constantly. Like, it's it's interesting. <laughs> but we we need we need people like you just helping to activate souls ready to come online, helping people to, you know, move through their awakening so that we can have this more this higher perspective on life to alleviate ourselves from our suffering. I can actually, I'm taking that back human to be human is to suffer. Right. But it's something that it's like, we just need this. We need people like you. We need, I call them activators. It's like people, you know, are drawn to you that are ready to be opened, who are ready to, you know, get into that more soul aligned place and live the life that their soul intended, which is, all we can do that that literally is all we can do and to walk the journey yourself you know we cannot bypass that that is the most important i can spot people that preach it but don't walk it and right. it's hard to walk it it's way easier to post some inspiring quotes That's on right. tiktok or whatever but to actually walk and that it that is very frustrating for both of us i'm sure that's maddening that's what motivates me to get up and keep trying and working because i want to give the eternal truth and it's not just about that getting those 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 likes Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you. I appreciate it so much. Where can people find you if they want to work with you? I'm going to put all your links in the show notes, but where's the best place sure. for people to find you? Thank you for asking within the portal.com. And there's some workshops, there's readings. The book is there, of course. And I, again, the book, I gave my life for this thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I'm a award-winning writer for a reason. Like I'm a pretty good writer. And so you get not an academic scholarly book on knowledge and information. It's told in a creative narrative way that's hopefully fun and passionate and deep and somewhat dark and sometimes just kind of light. And so all this is there. And also, we're also starting a community of for eternal truth, for divine love consciousness, to teach people who are feeling kind of isolated and alone in their journey. They want the truth and nothing less. They want the eternal truths and nothing less, not fads, not, 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 not buzzwords. They want the eternal truths, and this is source for them. Mm-hmm. And so if you want the, like, the real deal stuff from somebody that is not trying to sell you anything, then please come to the website and let's join the community. You know, that's what it's about. Mm-hmm. Cool. So there's readings there. The book is there. There's workbooks there on Kabbalah and Tarot, many of those other things. I'm giving workshops all the time, live and sometimes on, online. And so there's workshops. And then, of course, join the community, subscribe to it. And, you know, and again, I have a publicist that manages a lot of the business aspect of this. We can stay alive and float and put it out there. It has to be done. It can manifest, right? 
Mm -hmm. It isn't just going to magically appear in the physical world on its own. You got to manifest it. And so, but I'm always kind of pushing back and saying to him, and he's a, he's a good, he's a spiritual brother. I mean, I love the guy. And so I'm saying to him, like, look, but you've got to put something in there that says that whether they can afford to pay it or not, I'm going to let him in. Mm -hmm. So he goes, yeah, but we can't advertise. We can't, then nobody will, how are you going to survive? And I said, I don't know, but you can't tell, I'm, I'm just telling you that I'm going to let them come in either way. So hopefully people will be honest about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I appreciate that so much. It's because, you know, not everybody that needs desperate help has hundreds of thousands of dollars. No. And so many people are in it for the money first, not the helping your fellow human out, helping your fellow soul out. It's it's divine love consciousness. And so there's a page on the website that right. says join to subscribe on it. And it explains cool. again, there's like because um there's like a monthly subscription, yearly, whatever, and then and again, I don't manage all that. I'm just I just show up. And so, but then I also, then there's something beneath that that I insisted that he put on there that says, whether you can afford it or not, you're going to be welcome to join. So you just kind of request it. I love that. Thank you again so much. It's been such a pleasure. This conversation is so good and I know it's going to help so many people. I will put all of your stuff below. Make sure to grab the book, join the community. It sounds like just such a, it just is a powerful place. Like you're saying, it's eternal truth. It's not fad. It's not your way. It's not the flashy system. It's the eternal truths. And this is what we need to learn and explore finding the teacher that's right for you. But this is the stuff. This is, you know, everyone listening. This is what your soul is leading you toward is these real, real timeless eternal truths. And so thank you so much for being that. Thank you so much teacher. for doing something so genuine and authentic too. Thank you so much. It's an honor. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode on the Awakening Her podcast. I hope you enjoyed this conversation between me and my guest. And if you did, we would love to hear from you. Come find us on Instagram. All the links are below in the show notes. Take a screenshot that you're listening to this episode, sharing your takeaways or your enthusiasm for the show. Tag us both over on Instagram. And if you do that, I will send you a free gift. I really do hope you enjoyed this conversation and I will see you in the next episode. <laughs>